I don't know if this is indicative of anything, but Guam, which as far as I know, has not yet tipped over. Hank Johnson can rest assured. Guam has elected Republican James Moylan as its next delegate to the United States Congress. Non-voting delegate to Congress. Guam has not sent a Republican as a non-voting delegate to Congress since 1993. First Republican. Yeah, first Republican in, what would this be? 30 years from Guam. As Stephen L. Miller says, uh, apparently even Guam has had enough of this poop. When you've lost Guam, then that's uh, all right. All right, Howard number three. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, we're going over some of this, uh, some of the highlights of a discussion that occurred on a podcast called the Do Politics Better Podcast. Um, it is hosted by two lobbyists for New Frame, that's their firm, Brian Lewis and Sky David. Uh, and that podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association and the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. If you are interested in North Carolina politics, it's a good podcast to listen to because they go in-depth with a lot of these lawmakers and uh, consultants and that sort of thing. So they brought on two of these consultants, Nathan Babcock and Morgan Jackson. Nathan Babcock uh, is a consultant for Republican state Senate candidates, and Morgan Jackson uh, has a firm and uh, works with a lot of other lawmakers, but, uh, you know, the most high profile, I guess, is Governor Roy Cooper. And he directs Cooper's political investments in General Assembly races, right? So when you're wondering, why is Cooper doing that ad for that uh, candidate who, it, like, doctored up, photoshopped a mugshot of her Republican opponent? Like, that's the this is the guy who helps make those decisions. Okay, so Nathan Babcock, the Republican, he says, we are right now, and I agree with him completely, we are in a political realignment right now. That's what's happening nationally. It's what's happening in North Carolina. The Republican Party is becoming more rural, uh, more populist. The Democratic Party is becoming more urban, more cosmopolitan. That's that's a, a trend that's been going on for years. I mean, it's it really was going on before Donald Trump. He probably you know poured gas on that fire and made it accelerate. But you know, we're, we're looking at a political realignment that's happening. Yeah. So, you know, are we talking about a collision course in North Carolina, possibly. But I think that I, I kind of look at politics like the show Survivor, where you have these coalitions. And if you ever watch the show, you might have a, a coalition of five people who are voting together. And you have another coalition of four people who are voting together. But the guy that's at the bottom of the five might say, hey, I think I can move up if I switch to the other side. And that's that's true in politics. You see it all the time. If one group, it feels disaffected right now, you're you know, it's working class white voters. That's that's who we're talking about for the last you know several cycles who have been traditional Democrats who've left that party and are now voting more Republican. And on the Democratic side, you see college-educated whites who've been traditional Republican voters are leaving the Republican. So that's kind of the switch that's happening. Mm -hmm. And do I think it favors one party or the other? 
I don't, I don't think it necessarily favors either party. I mean, you've seen competitive elections, uh, you know, in North Carolina, especially for, for every every cycle, it's competitive. So there will be some switch. Democrats will pick up ground in the cities. We're going to keep picking up ground in rural areas. And if it looks like that coalition doesn't work, somebody who's on the bottom of that coalition is going to switch and we're going to continue to have competitive elections. All right. So you follow that? I think that's a really good analysis. I think that's a good breakdown of what we're seeing occurring, why the blue-collar white Democrat voters are migrating over. College-educateds are going the other direction to the uh, Democrat Party. There's also, right, the working-class um, black voters, Hispanic voters. They're migrating over, too, right? We've covered this as well, this this whole demographics is destiny thing. Well, whoops, turns out it wasn't, right? A lot of black and Hispanic voters are are now moving over to the Republican side. Now, is that permanent? Don't know. But we're seeing the trend line. Uh, Morgan Jackson, the Democrat, said that, look, if you like politics, North Carolina is an exciting place to be. And it has been for about a decade now. We are a 50-50 state. I mean, when you look at the Senate races, the U.S. Senate races, the gubernatorial elections, the presidential elections, you're a point, point and a half, sometimes 10,000 votes. I remember too, uh, too well from 2016. That was, by the way, the 10,000 votes. That was Roy Cooper's victory over Pat McCrory and Morgan Jackson was working for Cooper. Oh, and the governor's race is, and look at Sherry Beasley. She lost her Supreme Court race. That's 401 votes statewide. I mean, it's an incredible time. And and there are a couple of reasons for that. And and I think Nathan talked about them. And and Brian, you you sort of opened the question that way. Is the reason we're a 50-50 state right now is because we are essentially two states rolled into one. Mm. You have the urban, suburban areas that are getting larger and larger. I mean, while we've been sitting here talking, 15 people have moved into Wake County. I mean, that it just it feels that way. Wake and Mecklenburg alone have added over 100,000 new registered voters in the last few years. Um, just those two counties alone, those urban and suburban areas, not only get larger, they're getting more Democrat. You've got this, the as I talked about, the urban and suburban side, which is more college-educated, more diverse. You've got rural areas, which are less college-educated and less diverse. And the reason we're 50-50 right now is Republicans in the rural areas have been able, and a lot of it's been due to Trump, have been able to turn out the vote at a much higher level than they than their population rates. And so what's happening is that that is that is offsetting the urban growth. At some point, we're going to reach a tipping point when Charlotte and Raleigh and, and you know, whether it's Wilmington and Asheville, Greensboro, some even the smaller um, urban areas are going to get to just too big. Morgan Jackson said... That we were a, that we are a fifty fifty state. Are we really a fifty fifty state? I've seen a counter argument to this. Nathan Babcock doesn't really agree either. You know, Morgan talks about North Carolina being a fifty fifty state. I agree, it's very competitive, and it's kind of like two states in one. I agree with that. But if you look back and you start with Obama in '08, North Carolina has been right of center, right of the median state in the country every every cycle since two thousand and eight and 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 previous. So. You know, even even though Obama won the state in 2008, he also won in a landslide. So North Carolina was right of the center median state. And that was that was true in 2020. 2020, uh, Republicans won 16 out of 20 statewide races. They were all close, all close races, competitive. But Republicans are, are you know, I'd still say this is a center right state. It's slightly right of the center of the country politically and in a good Republican year, which this should be at least a modestly good Republican year, North Carolina is to the right of that, then I think it will be a good year for Republicans. 
All right. And so Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation, he did a piece on this. I've covered it before, but he, he makes the argument North Carolina is not a 50-50 state. It's just not. The last several elections indicate a small but persistent advantage for Republicans statewide. The data site 538.com, they find that North Carolina has a partisan lean of 4.8, meaning that Republicans start with a 52.4 to 47.6, or we'll call it 52 to 48, a 52 to 48 advantage in statewide elections. A four-point spread. So is that 50-50? No. It's 52-48. This is particularly important during redistricting arguments, by the way. There's also a thing called the cube rule that states if the ratio of votes between parties in an election is A to B, then the ratio of seats is A cubed to B cubed. I, I don't know what that means. But under this rule... A 51.6% to 48.4%, this is this 52-48 advantage, in popular support translates into an expected Republican advantage that's even greater in the legislative seats. That's what this mathematical formula uh, tells us. That if you have this four-point spread, it turns into a six-point spread across legislative seats. And then you can work the math out uh, uh, after that. Also... The second problem with this belief that we're 50-50 is the political geography does not allow for it. And this gets into something else that you heard Morgan Jackson talking about, uh, you know, about the urban, suburban, uh, uh, exurban or rural votes, like all these different types of voters. And it was summed up in a piece. We covered this several months ago. uh, Countrypolitans, the countrypolitan. Remember this term? The Democrats have a countrypolitan problem in this state. Hey, mark your calendars. The Charlotte Auto Show is returning for the 29th year at the Charlotte Convention Center. Thursday, November 17th through Sunday, 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 November 20th. Join WBT's Brett Winterbull on the 17th, on the first day there, on the Thursday, at 3 o'clock. He's going to do a show there for Hero Day. Free entry with ID for all of those in the uh, the teaching uh, profession, uh, medical community, first responders, active duty military veterans. Uh, get in for free at uh, the Charlotte Auto Show on the 17th. That's the Thursday, 3 o'clock, Hero Day. Go see Brett. Tell him I said hi. I mean, you don't have to do that. I mean, you can just say hi to him. That's fine. Yeah, because I, I see him every day. So you don't need to say that I said hi. That would be weird. I see him every day. I'm going to say hi to him when he comes in here momentarily. So, uh, all right. I was talking about the uh, the Democrats' countrypolitan problem. This uh, is related to what the consultants were talking about in this podcast, the Do Politics Better podcast. And Morgan Jackson is the, uh, the Democrat consultant guy. And uh, he says, hey, we're a 50-50 state. Nathan Babcock is the Republican guy, and he's like, well, not really. Uh, you know, we lean more towards the right. We we always overperform towards the right ahead of the national trends, right? And his example was Obama wins in a landslide nationally, but in North Carolina, he just barely wins, right? So 
North Carolina is leaning more to the right. Now, Jackson says, yeah, but things are changing. Okay, maybe. But as Babcock also said, he looks at like Survivor, where you've got different constituency groups, and they they change their uh, their allegiance if they're sort of, you know, if they're being ignored. If you have a cohort in your coalition that is being ignored, they will abandon that coalition and throw in with the others if it means they can advance their uh, agenda or their interests, right? So Countrypolitan, 2022, this is, by the way, a term come, uh, that was uh, drawn up by Mac McCorkle and Rachel Salzberg. And they are, I think they're at, what is it, Duke? Yeah, Duke University, Stanford School of Public Policy. The 2022 election year looks to be a challenging one for the Democrats in North Carolina. A major part of the challenge stems from what we call their Countrypolitan program. A dependable Democratic majority has still not emerged in this state. Democratic presidential candidates have now lost North Carolina in 10 out of the last 11 elections. That's not a 50-50 state. Moreover, Democratic candidates have won only one U.S. Senate race in the last 20 years and two in the last 30. Democrats have been using what they call a 2U strategy. 2U. The number two, two use urban university towns, right? This, I call it the Elysium party, right? They're, they've, they've, they're, they're experiencing a greater gap and it's, it's spreading between sort of the, the elites, right? The awfuls, the, the yeah, affluent white female liberals, right? You have this, this managerial class, this, this academic class at the top, and they're making bank. And then you've got working class. It used to be, you know, working class, blue collar, whites and blacks. But now you're seeing whites migrate over to the GOP with Donald Trump. This is part of the realignment. And one of the stats I just saw today was some of these states, I think they're they're talking about Miami-Dade flipping to Republican for the first time in like 30 years or something, 40 years. And there's and that would be due to a migration of blacks and Hispanics over to the Republican side. What have I been saying? For years I've been saying this. When these two cohorts start voting like other racial cohorts do, specifically African Americans. I mean that's really I mean, Hispanics have been splitting their vote between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, more evenly, it's been lopsided for Democrats for years, somewhere, you know, 60 to 70 percent for Democrats. But Republicans don't necessarily have to win a majority of Hispanic votes. They just have to not lose by as much. And so much of politics actually comes down to that very principle. Just don't lose by a lot <laughs> in in each of these different districts, precincts, states, demographic cohorts whether it's ages, religion, races, gender, whatever. Just don't lose by a lot. Make it competitive. Democrats need to lose by less in what they call these countrypolitan areas. And Republicans need to lose by less in the urban areas. Did I? I don't think I said. All right. So there are 28 hybrid countrypolitan counties across North Carolina. Right, they call these the countrypolitan counties uh, because they have this universe, or sorry, they have this uh, 
rural feel, but they are connected to urban areas. Your quintessential examples of countrypolitan, Union County and Gaston County. Right? I remember when Gaston County was represented by a bunch of Democrats. And all the Republicans in Union started moving to Union County, moving out of Mecklenburg, right? This has been happening in other places as well. They define countrypolitan counties as the outlying ones in larger metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs, the outlying counties. They qualify as metropolitan, according to the Federal uh, Office of Management and Budget. And by the way, this is how like radio markets work, TV markets, advertising markets, right? The MSA, Metropolitan Statistical Areas. And so Union County, Gaston County, part of the Charlotte MSA, but they're rural. They're more suburban, right? And Democrats have a real problem trying to get people in these areas to vote. And there is another group that's in there that are really, really, really swingy voters. That being moderate Republican women. They swing. They're, they're the most easily persuadable demographic there is. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but that, that's, that's what they find. Um, in countrypolitan counties, Trump beat Biden by 27 points. Trump's co- uh, countrypolitan strength neutralized and even overwhelmed Biden's big city leads in the metro areas. There you go. That's this is what we're seeing. So it's you can call it countrypolitan, but it's suburban. It's exurban, right? That's what we're looking at. News Talk eleven ten and ninety nine three WBT. Got a message here. Got an email. My daughter just sent me a picture of herself leaving her polling place. She's twenty, person of color. She's voting red because she got tired of her fellow students. When in high school in South Charlotte, not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance and complaining that the U.S. is unfair and racist. It made her mad, and she saw what was happening to kids in high school. She says she's a Republican because of that. Uh, that is from Ellen. Thanks for the email, Ellen. And I want to welcome to the program Sarah Reedy Jones. She is the Mecklenburg GOP chair. Uh, how is this uh, this Super Bowl of Election Day is going for you, Sarah? <laughs> you know, it is always the Super Bowl. This is my 25th year of doing this. Uh, every year my hair gets a little bit grayer, and uh, those 6.30 a.m. calls get a little bit harder. But honestly, it's been so much fun, and um, I'm so proud of this team of all volunteers that have worked so hard. Um, really, through this summer, we never got a break with the City of Charlotte races, and we've just run hard since then. Yeah. Well, and I will say, like, in this type of an environment, these ra- th- these elections are generally a little bit more fun than other years when <laughs> when, the, when the wave might not be so big. post-election analysis at 5 a.m. after uh, 2008. That wasn't fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, you, I think you wrote to me about the, the sheriff's race, because somebody called in and they asked, uh, why was there no sheriff's candidate uh, in uh, in the election this time around? Yeah, so I mean, Mecklenburg is tough, as you know, yeah. um, and you and you alluded to it a little bit about like the judges. The reason why is because the ba- the judges, for example, the judges basically sued to be able to run countywide. So, um, so that really hurts our uh, Republican candidates that want to run because when you're talking about 18 to 20 percent Republican countywide, citywide, that's really tough for them because they are in that legal community. 
So um, whoa, 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 what we want on. to do is right. get the supermajority back, get the uh, Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals tied up here so that we can return that to a district because it's ridiculous that we should know and how to vote on 18 different district judges. So a similar kind of thing here. So we really, that's why it's really important to get, you know, Bill Brawley, Don Pomeroy, some of these across the line so we can get that supermajority. But especially in the, in the sheriff, DA, anything like that when you're talking law enforcement, that's a very specific community and there is a fear of retribution. Our, our uh, recruitment committee met with uh, about 200 people, talked to them about running for different offices across here. And it's just very, very tough when you're talking sheriff or something like that because there is that fear from those potential uh, candidates of, of retribution and having to be in that community. So, all right, a couple things. First off, I was, I'm not aware. Can you explain what you just said about the judges? They are elected countywide? Yes. So when you got up there and it said there's a million different county judges, district judge is not a neighborhood judge here. It's kind of opposite. Superior court judge is still kind of a neighborhood. So you have a a much smaller segment of people running. So that's why we have two people. Like you said, Michael Stadding going to be a fantastic court of appeals judge. He has a better shot to win statewide than to win countywide for Mecklenburg to retain his seat. So when when did that when was that law changed? I'm not, I don't, I, this is all news to me. So, like, I, I'm just that, genuinely curious. That happened. I remember it happened because we had uh, fantastic judges running in 2020 that had filed. I, I don't know if you remember Sunny Rubeck. She had a fantastic campaign and she had the big cutouts of herself. She kind of started that with at the polls and um, ran a fantastic campaign. But at the end of the day, um, they had changed that um, from her filing. So then she had to run countywide. So, this is a fairly new process. We know they litigate, they sue till blue, they change the goal line. So what we're asking Republicans, even if you're in a very blue area today, get out and vote because you're going to give us that super majority to reverse a lot of the bad decisions that are happening here in Charlotte. Right. There's a running up the score that has to occur in in some of yeah. these areas, even if you know you're not going to, it's not going to matter. Always, yeah. Right. At your <laughs> local level. It lose by less. And right. that's what we have to do here in Mecklenburg County. Right. Uh, all right, so now let me go back to the sheriff. Uh, the sheriff race issue. You so are you talking specific? I mean, I understand the uh, the issue that deputies are going to have, right? Anybody that works for the mm-hmm. sheriff, the, it, the, yeah. it's going to take a lot to try to get them to run against the boss because generally, when you try to get the boss fired, you get fired if you're not successful, right? So, mm-hmm. but what about outside of the sheriff's office? Aren't there other law enforcement agencies or retirees that would be able to? make a run really crunched the numbers unfortunately we had a good primary for sheriff carmichael but um just when it comes to running and doing that um putting your name on the seat to run countywide is very difficult but we what we want to do is continue to talk about our culture and and our values and why people should be republican and and the the, the bad stuff happening in charlotte and in our county Mm -hmm. so that people will feel safer to get out there and run again all right so what are you seeing uh today at the polls Lots of people there, um, people not handing out our guides. You can still, if you want to get out there, go to mechgop.com. We are still, we will run you voter guides and have you out there, but lots of good energy. We've had a lot of good energy during early voting. Uh, just people excited. Uh, a lot of people, like you said, that high school girl that was voting, uh, people that want to see some change, and they want to see some balance in Mecklenburg County because that's really important that we bring some sort of balance back to these governing bodies here. Um, anything else you want to add here before we let you run? 
MECGOP.com, sign up. I'm very excited about our poll observer program. Just so you're aware, North Carolina is number one percentage-wise and total number of observers across the country this year. And a lot of them are here in Mecklenburg making sure we have those safe elections. Come on out, 7.30 p.m. tonight, Fahrenheit, for a watch party. So hopefully we get to watch the red wave all across the country. A very cool place as well. I've been there, uh, I think, once a couple years ago, before the pandemic maybe, but... um... Yeah, it's a great place. Oh, so that's a that, that's interesting that uh, we do so well with the observers. This is one of the things I keep telling people when anybody complains to me about like uh, uh, election integrity. Like I hear you, but what are you doing personally to help correct the problems? We need people that are going to be able to be the eyes and ears on the ground to see these types of uh, uh, problems and to report them. And if nobody does that, then how do we know what is and is not occurring? So correct. Correct. And, and some of the people that scream the loudest are the quietest when you actually ask them to help. Um, but we're, we're getting that great program and I'm getting great reports and there's good things. And this helps us with best practices and continue to have a good relationship with the Mecklenburg County Board of Elections and make sure that everybody knows that their vote is secure and safe. Right. And I can I can speak from personal experience. There are people that on that work at the Board of Elections that uh, are interested in election integrity. I have met them. I've spoken mm-hmm. with them. They are not all trying to steal elections. There are people there. I mean, I'm not going to say they're partisans, but they 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 want clean elections and they value. Uh, I mean, they they valued my friendship. So I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that speaks to something there. Um, anyway, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for your time and uh, thanks for what you're doing. Good luck on the campaign trail there. All right. Thanks, Pete. All right. Take care. That is. Uh, that's the chairman of the Mecklenburg County GOP, Sarah Reedy Jones. Got an email from Jay. It says, Pete, my wife has a business partner in Miami Dade who is Cuban, and the Cubans love them some Ron DeSantis. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, I'm seeing some, and look, I do not ascribe, I try not to ascribe motive to people when I don't have any evidence behind what they're doing or saying, right? Um, And so I don't know when people, they're going to come out and they're going to project Ron DeSantis the winner, probably immediately upon closing of the polls, right? And there are going to be people who say that that is meant to suppress turnout in the panhandle because then people won't show up to vote because they know Ron DeSantis has already won. And there will be other people who say that they're reporting those polls like that in order to suppress turnout in other places and to make people dispirited. The left will say that, too. They'll say, they'll say that, oh, you just called it for DeSantis, and now all of our voters who were totally going to turn out and you know, whatever. So I just I caution people to think about the assumption of motive of other people And try, I think we would all benefit if we try to give the benefit of the doubt. To some degree. I'm not saying you got to do it in all cases. Sometimes the evidence doesn't warrant that, right? But when you don't have any evidence, maybe don't rush to the worst assumption. That's all. Um, Let me see here. This is, okay. Let me go back to a couple, uh, two more quick audio clips. Again, from the Do Politics Better podcast, Brian Lewis and Sky David, they're the hosts, and... They had on Nathan Babcock, Republican consultant, and Morgan Jackson, Democrat consultant. And Morgan Jackson says that Democrats are increasingly doing better in each North Carolina election cycle. 
They're making gains. It's not just urban areas. Listen, look at places like Cabarrus County. Look at places like Gaston Union. These have not been Democratic County Johnston, but look at the difference. Okay, wait, hang on a second. They were Democrat counties. We were all Democrat counties, right? A while ago. I mean, it's been a couple decades, but you guys had these counties and then you lost them. Okay. In, in Democratic performance between 2016 and 2020, they're actually, Democrats are getting a higher percentage of the vote. And the difference between winning th- 33% in Union County versus 35%, it's a big deal, y'all, statewide. And same thing for two for Johnson County. Cabarrus County is one of those I think is going to be a real bellwether. That Democrats did six points better in Cabarrus County just over four years. That's but what you're seeing is these college educated voters that have been confined to the border of Mecklenburg are now moving out in, further into the exurbs, not just the suburbs. Yeah. You see the same thing from Wake to Johnston, Wake to Franklin in a lot of these areas. And, and look at it in even Henderson County, the Buncombe County uh, influence of, of Northern Henderson is getting more Democratic. Right. All right. So that is true to, to an extent. There's another thing going on here, which was Donald Trump was not an attractive candidate to a lot of those voters that are in those suburban areas. And I think it was Ralph who called in earlier and said, you know, I— I hope all those people are happy, you know, with their choice for Biden. No, you know, uh, do they regret it and all of that? And I don't know. I, I, I cannot speak for for anybody. I did not vote for Joe Biden, so I cannot speak for them. I'm sure there are some people that regret their vote. I think there are some people that regret it because they feel like they were lied to. But here's something else. You know, politicians will break your heart. They will. That's why you don't ever get attached to them. Just don't. Don't get attached to them because they're human beings. They have failings and trappings and vices, and they're going to fall short of your expectations and their promises. And so, you know, one person, it's the Avits, right? The Avid brothers, uh, your life doesn't change by the man who's elected. Now, I know people say, well, but Trump, well, yes, but also Trump had a Republican Congress for a while. He had a Democrat Congress that was also willing to spend a whole bunch of money on the COVID stuff, too. And then Trump was out and Biden was in. But I mean, if uh, I mean honestly, I don't know if Trump would have vetoed all of the spending measures that came down the pike. I don't know that. Maybe he would have. Maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know. I don't know if Republicans would have gone along with some of the spending that. Uh, I mean, they went along with the pandemic spending, right? That to me, by the way, I, like because I I chalk up the inflation as a result of the profligate spending. So that I mean that that is my bias here. And I don't think it's all due to Putin. <laughs> Uh, all right. So uh, Jackson then said voter participation rates are up. Look at the presidential years from 2016 to 2020. You had a 10 percent increase in voter turnout in four years. That's insane. That's not what we're used to seeing. If you, you know, you look at the 20, um, excuse me, in 2018, you, you had a 20 percent increase in midterm turnout over the last four years from a midterm. That's again, that's insane when you think and that about was with it. no statewide. That, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so the difference is, and Nathan's 100 percent right. In 2018, you had 53 percent of voters turn out. In 2014, you had the most expensive Senate race in North Carolina history and only 44 percent turned out a 20 percent increase with, with a, in a blue moon election. So it's, it, I do think voters are more engaged. Some of this is because they're more juiced. I, I, you know, I I don't give Trump credit for anything, but I will say this about Trump. He is the most motivating force in the history of politics. And that's not just for Republicans. That's for Democrats as well. Donald Trump has done more to unite and motivate Democrats than even Obama did. I mean, it's incredible. 
One of the races I'm going to be watching tonight is Senate District 19. There was a big write-up on this race at the assembly.com, the assemblync.com. Um, Kirk Devier, D-E-V-I-E-R-E, he's a progressive Democrat guy, lost in the primary. Right, The District 19 race is very local, but it started with a very notable outsider, Governor Roy Cooper. After the current senator, Democrat Kirk Devier, broke ranks with his party during last year's state budget process, Cooper made the unusual choice of publicly backing his challenger in that primary, Val Applewhite. Applewhite won by 20 points, but now she's facing a tough election against Republican Wesley Meredith, who represented the district for four terms before Devier unseated him in 2018. Some Democrats now are worried that the seat is vulnerable. Though no public polling has been released, the money spent on the race says a lot. Applewhite has raised $229,000 by the end of June. That's the last uh, most recent report. Nearly four times more than the Democratic candidate in neighboring District 21, which is a toss-up on paper. And after Michael Bloomberg gave a million dollars to the state Democratic Party, the party turned around and put another $355,000 into Applewhite's campaign. That is an astounding amount of money for a state Senate race, one that you had in your Democrat column easily with Kirk Devier. But Cooper had to primary him because he voted for a Republican budget. Cooper said he endorsed Applewhite because she, quote, isn't afraid to stand up to right-wing Republicans. But now his veto power, the key to his governing strategy, is at stake. And District 19 might make a difference. Devier, by the way, beat this guy, Wesley Meredith, beat him in 2018 by less than 500 votes. It was a close race. A very, very close race. Oh, and by the way, this guy Meredith... He was the one that showed Val Applewhite the ropes, how to run a campaign, how to do all of that stuff when she ran for city council back in 2007. He was already on council. He guided her through the ins and outs of political work. And Devier ran her campaign. And politics is brutal. All right. Well, happy ED to everybody. Election day. We'll see you. Well, I'll be on tonight for the coverage, but otherwise we'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) 